Welcome to the In Process Podcast, the podcast where writers discuss their works in progress. I'm your host, Cassie, and today I'm joined by author and poet, Brenda Cardenas. How are you, Brenda? I'm great, Cassie. I'm really happy to be here and have really enjoyed being at MTSU. We're so excited to have you at MTSU. I know that you're reading for the Fall Writing Conference, and you just put out a book, um, which I'd love to talk about. We got to have a conversation yesterday, which was fantastic, where we talked about our favorite writers and our influences, and it made me really excited for this morning to be able to talk to you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on, what you've published recently, what your influences are. I have a whole list of all the things that you've published, but I actually think it would do better if you explained it in your Uh own words. So the new book is called Trace, and that came out in April 2023 from Red Hen Press, and it's a collection of poems, and I imagine we can get more into it later. And then another full-length book I have from longer ago, um, is called Boomerang, and that was published by Bilingual Press. And then I've done a number of chapbooks, um, which are smaller. So I have um, three of those, um, one that's individual and two that I collaborated with other poets on. And then I've just published poems like everybody in anthologies and literary magazines. And what I most, the kind kind of work that I, I don't, I don't want to say that I love it the most because I like the process of writing by myself, but I love collaboration. And so I've done a lot of collaborative projects with musicians, composers, dancers, choreographers, and visual artists. And, you know, um, an example, one with visual visual artists, um, there were uh, the two people who curated the project asked all of the poets they chose to write an ekphrastic poem in response to any piece of visual art that we wanted to, anything in the world. And we wrote the poems, and then the curators gave those poems to printmakers, but without necessarily telling them what the, who the original, ins- the artwork that oh, was wow. the original inspiration. And then the printmakers made prints in response to our poems. And then it was all put together wow. in a big portfolio. So I love projects like that. I love, Mm -hmm. we talked about genre a lot last night. Um, I love a cross genre of different mediums. Mm -hmm. I think it's so unique. I I love projects like that. Yeah, it was like, they're really exciting to me. And I mentioned last night in in the reading that I um, recently had a composer who composes choral music. Um, He's out, his name is Daniel Afonso, and he's out at California State University, Stanislaus. He teaches in the music department. He just emailed me out of the blue one day and said, I would like to, I'm wondering if you'll give me permission to write music for a poem of yours. And um, I said, well, yeah, that'd be great. And we got permission from the publisher of Boomerang, because that poem was in Boomerang, um, and they gave him permission, and he wrote the music and sent me the score and sent me a recording of it, and it was so beautiful. The music like fit the poem so perfectly. I cannot wait to hear it. I was just psyched. And then not so many months later, I get another email that Hal Leonard, a music publisher, a very big, prominent music mm-hmm. publisher, was going to publish the score 
with my little words under the notes. <laughs> it's like, oh, so so now that must have been so surreal just yeah. to see the actual like it as lyrics underneath. It was that's so the real cool. score. Yeah, it was, and so they. They published it. It's now published by Hal Leonard. Wow. And it's being performed in uh, the uh, conductor from the University of Michigan ha- has a whole series of concerts where it's going to be performed. And I just found out that it's also going to be performed at Carnegie Hall. Congratulations. <laughs> that is amazing. When is yeah, that happening? That's in March. I believe it's March 12th of 2024. Wow. So I believe my husband and I are going to make a trip to New York. Um, yes, you have to. <laughs> Absolutely. You need to go if your piece is being performed at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> so it's those kinds of projects are really exciting to me. And I yeah. think it's because I just love, what I love about collaboration is you have two artistic minds coming together and forming what I always call a third mind. Yeah. Um, you know, both both you know you feed off of each other and that's always great i love being around so many creative people i think i've i've been noticing that all my friends are creatives you know and so we just feed off of each other even if we're not necessarily like we're collaborating on this piece but having creatives that you're sending your work to and showing your new projects everyone has new takes and i just love being around so many creative people well it was great to hear you read i'm actually um going to have you read aloud some pieces just because of that like musicality to your work which I thought was really interesting to talk about in episode one um, I had the previous host and my friend Keiston come on we talked about songwriting we talked about writing for fiction and we talked about how those two things merge together and so I think it's so interesting that once again we're having this theme come back up about genre and talking about how there's so much musicality to words and how much it influences especially poets um, so I'm really excited that we have a poet on the podcast <laughs> because I think you really understand the concise image and the musicality of words. So tell me a little bit more about like your influences and the topics that you usually write about. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about, you know, language and how it transforms your work. And I know we were talking about yesterday that you have poems that are entirely in Spanish and some that are mixed together and how you find the musicality of words kind of playing a role in that in different mm-hmm. crossing of language in poetry. Okay, so influences. Well, besides the other arts that are always an influence to me, um, I in, in terms of other poets or other writers, there's so many that I, mm-hmm. I could never name them all. One I could name is uh, Juan Felipe Herrera, who was the Poet Laureate of the United States before Joy Harjo, um, but has been an influence to me from way before he was Poet Laureate of the United States. Mm -hmm. I've known him for many years, and um, he's published so many books. He's so prolific. I think he has some crazy, like, 40 books in the world. Um, And they're mostly poetry, but he also has written other he writes children's books and he also has a like a memoir um so he writes in different uh genres um and just as a fabulous incredible poet there's so much mystery to his poems and um language play like we were just talking about so i love juan felipe but i also um love joy harjo who was our poet laureate one poet laureate ago and she's a great she's another wonderful poet that's i think long been an influence um lorna de cervantes was a early influence on me she wrote the book emplumada um that was pretty 
big book for a long time. She has a number of other books as well, but that was the kind of the book of Chicana literature right. at, in, back in the day. Um, I absolutely adore the poet Craig Santos Perez, who is um, a Chamorro, indigenous Chamorro from Guam, the island of Guam, um, which the Chamorro called Guhan. And he has this entire series of books called, they're all called From Unincorporated Territory, and then they all have a subtitle. So From Unincorporated Territory, Acha, From Unincorporated Territory, Saina, From Unincorporated. And um, what I love about his work is that he blends languages. He brings in the indigenous Chamorro and, in, and then the language of all of Guam's colonizers. So he has the you know Japanese in there. He has the Spanish in there. He has English in there. Of course, they're mostly English, but he mixes the other languages and he includes these beautiful oral stories that were passed down to him from his grandparents and his elders. Um, and his work is complex and uses a lot of collage. I just you know it's just yeah. amazing. And the the other thing is he's fierce. So he says he's going to write that poem, that epic poem from Unincorporated Territory, book by book, until Guam is free wow. and demilitarized, which means he'll be writing it the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, his newest book is just up right now for a National Book Award. He's a finalist. I think it's interesting that you have so many um, influence that also have interlingual you know, writing styles, because this is really the first time reading your poetry collection or reading Trace was the first time that I've really seen like a commitment to it not just being ear candy. Uh -huh. um, I think we kind of talked about it yesterday during your reading. Um, it's the first time that I've really seen it influence and play a role and unafraid, kind of not tiptoeing around thinking about the audience and thinking about the reader and whether or not they understand. I liked what you said yesterday. If you don't understand or if you don't speak any spanish then just dance <laughs> exactly. you know just dance just think about just listen all the other poets that i've read don't play with language in this way and i think it's, it's very limiting to the reader and I, I love the way that you put it it's like a joyful thing to say just dance if you don't understand right and just you know enjoy the sounds enjoy the musicality yes. because if you listen to let's say you listen to a musical composition that doesn't have words. You're just enjoying the sounds. Yes. You're not saying, what does that mean? Right? Or when you look at an abstract work of art, you're looking at the shapes, the colors, the composition. You're not worrying so much, what does that blue line mean? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so um, I think we can do that with other languages. And I, I really believe that everybody is multilingual. Sure, certain of us have another language, you know, uh, uh, um, that is accepted as a language, okay? But we all have jargons. And dialects. And dialects. Yeah. And we all speak differently at work than we speak at home with our family. And then we maybe speak even differently with our friends. So, and different generations have different slang. And, you know, all of that, those are all languages that reside yeah. within us and i think it's fun sometimes for poets to just play with that and how can i bring if if you don't speak another formal language how can i bring maybe um the language that's used at my job yeah uh, you know into my poems yeah i love that so do you think that your ekphrastic work kind of has that similar like 
use of play that you writing like interlingual poems do you know you're talking about looking at an abstract mm-hmm. painting mm-hmm. and you're like it's less about what it means and it's more of the feeling and the sound mm-hmm. or the feeling or what it reminds you of what it might recall you might yeah. get a you might get a memory because of looking at that or might make you think of some place you've been and how your mind leaps yeah i think the mind will look at something take it in take time with it and then the mind will start to go many places and and that is a kind of form of play as well. I love the use of play. I recently in my songwriting class, we've been doing object writing. Um, and I've, I feel like so much of poetry is just that, as taking an object and what does it evoke for you? And I think that's just like the whole thesis of being a writer is experiencing life and looking around and looking at these images and what does it evoke for you? What memories does it bring up? What language does it bring up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and being observant like that is so important for a writer in any genre. Yeah. Being observant of your world. Um, yeah, objects. I do an exercise with my students in my, my um, undergrad create, uh, poetry writing class where they have to bring a gift at the beginning of the semester that is not something they buy and it is not worth a lot of monetary value. It's just something that they have at home that they like like a special shell or stone or feather or something of that nature that they feel okay about parting with and they bring it and we throw them all in a hat and the second day of class and everybody picks one out without knowing who put it in and then they have to carry that object with them all semester long and at the end of the semester they write a poem um with that object in it or regarding that object, and they gift the poem back to the person who put that gift in the hat. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. What a prompt. <laughs> we didn't talk about that. You want to talk about teaching? Um, yeah, I mean, I, well, I've been teaching 35 years <laughs> and at all different levels. So I've taught everything from never little children, but everything from seventh grade to doctoral students. Um, so I feel like... Um, I've kind of done the whole gamut. Uh, right now I teach at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and I teach undergraduate and graduate level classes in creative writing and in United States Latino literature, Latinx literature. Um, and it's been an incredible journey um, because I often feel like um, my students are collaborators. We are teaching each other um, all the time. They teach me as much as I teach them. And I, I think I'm more of a facilitator than anything else. Um, and I can help them jump through the hoops. Um, and certainly there's knowledge I have that I will impart and share with them, but there's knowledge they have that I don't have that they share with me. And so it's this, it's this wonderful symbiotic, um, thing that happens. And I'm really grateful to have had a life in teaching, um, even though it is a lot of work and you always bring it <laughs> home and you always carry it home. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, we talk about everyone being so observant and being image collectors. You think of all the images and all the emotions brought into so many different rooms that you've seen for years and years and years now. You yeah. can't imagine what that's like. And then to still, you know, be consistently writing and, you know, putting out trace and all these beautiful images that you have in this book that are so personal 
Um, I think writing is so intimate and personal. So to be able to share that with students and strangers Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, that's so admirable. I find it difficult even to shed these parts of myself in a, in a, in a workshop with like 15 people, you know? (laughs) So I can't imagine, you know, doing that and bringing your own work and works that have influenced you so heavily and have it be such an emotional experience to all these, you know, people that you don't necessarily know yet. I'm sure you get to know people through their work and through their writing. You do. I mean, it's I like, I, it's funny because I don't really learn their names until they turn their first poems in. Mm-hmm. And then I have like something I associate that yeah. poem with that face and the name. And then it's like, boom, I have all the names. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I would love for you to read um, one of the poems that you read last night. I chose this poem because we talked about the musicality of your work. And I feel like this is a great example of that. I loved the way that you read it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So this poem is an ekphrastic poem, meaning that it is in response to or in conversation with a, a piece of visual art. And you can't see the piece of visual art, but it is um, a graffiti art. The, it's a, the artist's name is Charles or Chaz. Everybody called him Bojorques. And he did graffiti art. This is graffiti, though, that wasn't on a building. It's actually on a um, canvas. And it was part of a big exhibit of Latino art at the Smithsonian Art Museum in Washington, D.C. some years ago. Um, And the piece, the graffiti in this piece looks very glyphic, as though it it were, you know, as though it were glyphs. so I wrote this poem in response, and it's called Placa Roll Call, and it begins with an epigraph from the artist. He said, if the city was a body, graffiti would tell us where it hurts. And this block would shout, Nos diste un chingazo, cabrón. Mira esta cara rota, these baton-cracked ribs, this black and blue diz- street dizzy con gente, Blades, Kiki, Larry, Snow, Enrique, Connie, Elton, King, David, Kelly, Jeff, Raton, Chaz. Los de aquí, los de abajo. This roll call won't be silenced, not by Glock, not by chokehold. This, our temple of runes, our tomb, its glyphic curve and flow, calligraphic code, writ acrylic. This, our relic, our scroll unrolled in catacombs, our flex of subtext still buzzing después de que vayamos con la pelona. Que lucha, loco. Ven, baila con nosotros to the aerosols, maraca y hiss, al punk en español's furious sweat. Hang your head out the window y dale un grito tan lleno de duende that it cracks the pavement, summons our dead to dinner, turn the tonal kaleidoscope, then pause, catch your breath so you don't miss the illegible moment where all the mystery lives there decipher that so good (laughs) thank you i love the snatch ending of that and i love all the textures in this piece i underlined this part the it's glyphic curve and flow calligraphic code with writ acrylic oh my goodness the alliteration yeah a lot of alliteration and consonants i see why you have a piece that was turned into music after listening to this because you have all of these syllables that are you know cracking and snapping and it's very percussive in a way thank you 
Yeah, and I, I wanted it to be that because I was thinking of, you know, graffiti. It's usually on the streets. It's not usually in an art mm-hmm. museum. And um, that's why he says if graffiti were a body, the city would tell us where it hurts, right? Yeah. Um, uh, or, yeah. So I, I wanted the poem to crack like that. I wanted the poem to be, um, I don't, to have this sense of, yeah, this urbanity to it, yes. right? Yeah. To have life in it. Mm-hmm. I think there was something that was said yesterday about the intoxication of life in your in your poems. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, I've been thinking about that word, intoxication. I feel like this is a great representation of that. It's so chocked full, right? Every <sighs> Every word is intentional, and it has an element of percussiveness. It has an element of life. This is alive. The way that you speak it is very alive. It comes off the page. And I think there's an intoxication in your work that I really admire. You know, I was also thinking when I looked at that piece of art and I thought of graffiti, I thought of the city, and I was thinking about um, all the deaths um, with the, you know, and I'm not against police, but the police, the police killings of so many um, people of color, right? And so I had that in that, you know, in the beginning where it says, um, Mira esta cara rota, that means look at this broken face, these baton cracked ribs, this black and blue street, dizzy con gente, dizzy with people. And then later it says, um, this roll call won't be silenced, not by Glock, not by chokehold. Because I was thinking of Eric Garner there. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there the the socio-political comes into it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that adds to the percussiveness. It's a shout. Yeah. It's alive. Mm-hmm. And I, again, about ear candy, I think a lot of times when writing, you know, any kind of politic- political element into a poem, I think there's a lot of like, you start to get out of that writer brain and you're <laughs> like, oh, you're thinking about the audience too much, but I love that this is just alive and it snaps <sighs> and it says you. what it needs to say, you know? Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love the I love the um, the way that one word rubs against another sonically, and both and and that's really great when you do that in one language. But then you can take two languages and you can have this kind of Spanish word with its yeah. sounds rubbing up against the English word, and you get these interlingual alliterations and interlingual rhymes, and that's just lots of fun. All of the alliteration. I don't know how you think and. <laughs> in this. I love it. I don't know. Those things like the alliteration of that just seems to come naturally to me. I, I think it's it's music, right? Mm-hmm. And something that you were reading yesterday, um, you talked about you you had a, a piece that's dedicated to drummers. Mm-hmm. I loved that piece. Um I would love if you would read that one too, because we're talking so much about your the percussive nature of your writing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny that you wrote it four drummers when in a way the way that you're writing is like you're writing for yourself too Uh (laughs) you're a poet drummer so i wrote it in spanish and that's the one that they used in the recording for the the choral they sing it in Mm -hmm. spanish but the sheet music also shows the english along the side yeah because i translated it myself um and i was thinking when i wrote this poem about for a while i had a band called sonido inquieto and the band my another poet and I were the poets that did the spoken word over the music, and the band played, uh, you know, underneath. 
and the drummer, our drummer, was this person who was just fabulous, and he was, he could never stop keeping the beat. He was always tapping on something. His foot was always going, you know, right? Well, and you know why I love this is because I love a drummer, and so like I was hearing that, and there's some line about um, they're tapping on a lover's arm yeah. all the time. That's all the time, and it's something that I notice, and I've been trying to write about. I think I've written um, certain lines in a prose poem that I wrote recently about um, he's smoothing syllables down my back with like uh-huh. rhythm, and so there's so many things like that where always tapping always keeping some sort of rhythm or I'll be like, what are you listening to in your head that you're, you know, everywhere. It's on every surface on my arms, on my (laughs) legs while we're driving. You know, it's, it's, it's such a thing to love a musician and to love a a drummer is a different experience Uh and something that's so unique. And I love that somebody wrote a poem uh, that I related (laughs) to in a new way. Yeah. They, they keep the rhythm for all of us, right? They're the beat of the world. And I think about, you think about the drums, how the drums were used as communication even be from one village to another village in Africa. And, and when people were enslaved in the United States, they used the drum to communicate to one another. So, And, it, yeah. you know, drumming and doesn't just apply to drummers. It's yeah. in every form of music. It's always rhythm. It's always, it's always yeah. ways that you manipulate rhythm. It's always in the way that I li- write lyrics. I, I'm manipulating the way that I'm saying the words, mm-hmm. stretching exactly. them out. You know, everything has to comes back to meter and comes back to rhythm, and uh-huh. I think it's so unique. Poem for the Tintunteros. This for the timbaleros, percussionists, tintunteros, those who tap with spoons on their stoves, with pencils on their desks, with nails and knuckles on tables, beds, their own heads, with fists against walls and fingers on the spines and curves of their lovers. Dancers. This for the congueros, drummers, bongoceros, those who never rest with their staccato heels, always hammering the skin of the floor, stomping in their dreams filled with maracas, guiros, and claves. These dancers with steps so smooth and hips that move like their hi-hats and snares. This for the timbaleros, percussionists, tintunteros, They are badasses with their cymbal storms, their games of sticks that fly like wings. How scampish their tricks that won't let us work or sleep, only dance and sing and sing and dance and sometimes move the earth a little. Poema para los tintunteros. Este para los timbaleros, los bateristas, los tintunteros, los que tocan con cucharas en sus estufas, con lápices en sus escritorios, con uñas y nudillos en mesas, muebles, sus propias cabezas, con puños contra paredes y, de, y dedos y en las espinas y curvas de sus amantes, danzantes. Este para los congueros, los tamboristas, los bongoceros, los que nunca descansan con sus tacones siempre golpeando la piel del piso, zapateando en sus sueños llenos de maracas, huiros y claves. Estos baladores con pasos tan suaves y caderas que se muevan como sus hi-hats y tarolas. Este para los timbaleros, los bateristas, los tintunteros, son chingones con sus tormentas de platillos, sus juegos de pla- palíos que vuelan como alas, que malas, sus trampas que no nos permitan trabajar ni dormir, solamente bailar y cantar, cantar y bailar y a veces mover la tierra un poquito. 
I love that one. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I just feel like I keep saying the same thing, but I, I love that one. I love the way that you, that you write about movement. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I like to reflect that too sometimes. Um, that particular poem is, is, is um, left aligned, but I like to reflect movement sometimes on the page as well. So I really think about how the poem um, moves around the page. And so um, although I, I do left align like everybody does, I have poems that um, do this Absolutely or that. Yeah, yeah too, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, where the language is um, visual on the page and is moving around on the page. Um, what Charles Olson called paying attention to the field of the page. I love thinking about white space um, and thinking about the ways that it, it changes, the, the ways that silence operates in writing just as much as the actual words do. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I love the, we we're talking about the intoxication with life because I feel like you have to have that intoxication as a writer mm -hmm. with your life. I referenced a poem on the last episode about that intoxication um, by Shannon Berry. I talked about, she talks about being an open wound or a nerve exposed in the world and that nothing could abate that or help that until she began writing. And that's how I feel. I feel like writing is this intoxicating experience because I feel the world and every emotion in such intoxicating ways that writing is a way to collect all of those things and finally be able to put them down. Mm -hmm. um, and it remind now I'm thinking of all these different quotes. There's a quote that I saw recently that I wanted to share too and hear what you had to say. This is an, from an Ann Carson essay. Oh. And <laughs> she writes, you remember too much, my mother said to me recently. Why hold on to all of that? And I said, where can I put it down? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I love that. Where can I put it down? Where can I put it down? And it's the page. Yeah. It's in poems. Where can I put it down? I carry all of it with me. I carry all of this with me. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like that speaks to your writing as well. And it speaks to, you know, it becomes almost metaphorical because where, you know, where can I put it down? Meaning put it down as in write it down, but where can, can I, I put it down? Yeah. I all, you know, it's heavy, right? Yeah. Everything we carry in a life, because even if we, we can be the most joyful people, we're still going to have sorrows. We're still going to have wounds. We're still going to have, you know, hurt and um, grief. Sometimes there was this, this poem by, oh, who's the poet? I'm blanking on who the poet is. But it's a it's a poem about um, where all this, the speaker describes, it's a short little poem, and he describes carrying a box in all these different ways, and, you know, carrying it with his arms underneath it and his fingers hooked over it and can only go so far like that, and then he has to shift it, and he has to shift it to his hip. Is Jack Gilbert. And he has to shift it to his hip and then he has to shift it up on top of his shoulder and imagine you're carrying a heavy box yeah. and you have a ways to go you're gonna have to move it around like that yeah. and you know he's and then he says and then it, it the box ends up back in front of him 
And so he can carry it. Um, he can carry it without ever having to put it down, something to that effect. The title of the poem is Mashiko Dead. And the title lets you know that this box is grief, right? And that that's, with grief, you, you're never really going to put it down. You're never going to not have it. But it's, you learn how to live with it. You learn it. how to carry it. Yeah. And it's just, I always use that poem to teach extended metaphor um, because the whole poem is a metaphor, right? And I like to try to teach my students how important a title is, the work that a title can do for a poem, that if we didn't have that title, Mishiko dead, I don't know that we would know yeah. that, you know, what the metaphor is in that poem, Mishiko was Jack Gilbert's wife. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we talked about that in Beyond Flash Fiction recently. We were talking about how the title is a flash within itself. Yeah. Within the flash. Before you even begin, it mm. like frames you. And then obviously you, you always go back to the title after you finish a work as well. And so it's like a flash on either end. It's the bookend that ties everything together. That's a great, that's great. Yeah. What, yeah, what you all did. I like to think that way about the line in, in a poem too. I We talk about the integrity of the line. So like in a way, like not that... I'm not saying we do this or I do this in every line or any poet <laughs> can, but in an ideal world, every line would be a poem in itself, right? Every line is a flash. Every line is a flash. So you want to think that's going to help you with your line breaks. It, you you want to break the line in a way that that line, there's some integrity to it in and of itself. It has enough to say. Yeah. Yeah. Every word has to fight for its way on the page. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And especially in your poetry with all of the ephemeral aspects of it, mm -hmm. where everything is an image, everything is, it's very condensed. Thank you. Yeah, I think I am, a, my poems are emmy, image heavy. Yeah, yeah, I do tend to, I want to conjure ephemeral, it in your mind. Kind of maximalist almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is in a sense. Because I want to conjure it. I want you to see it. I want you to smell it. I want you to hear it. Yeah. You want to be in it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that same thing of where do you put it all down? Mm -hmm. You're carrying all of these things that you're collecting throughout your day that you associate with whatever you're writing about. Mm -hmm. That's how I want to write. And, <laughs> the inspiring and then the older you get, the more you're carrying around in your head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or I've read so many books about grief. Um, I mean, I read Joan Didion's My Year of Magical Thinking. Mm -hmm. um, even The Carrying by Ada Limone yes. is a yeah. wonderful work about grief. I have this one I've been carrying around with me recently. I've been reading What the Living Do by Marie Howe, which uh -huh. has a fantastic poem about grief in it. Um, that's the namesake of the, of the collection. There's so many poems about grief, and I think in a way that's maybe the most universal experience and emotion that we all have mm -hmm. as just as humans not as not even as writers but I think it's as writers it's one of the most universal topics mm -hmm. just because um Shannon Berry again wrote another poem and she called grief is just love in a heavy coat oh that's a beautiful line yeah oh, I don't remember wow. the rest of the poem but I I think about that all the time when I think about grief grief is just love in a heavy coat so wow. you know you may think that Love would be the most universal experience, but I think grief being love in a heavy coat is more universal. 
Because there's so much grief and in love and risking to love again after experiencing so much loss. Uh huh. So I think it's interesting how much writers come back to grief. I'm going to remember that grief is love and a heavy, and co- heavy coat. You know, when you hear those lines and you just go, "Oh, I wish I would have written that." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I'm like, it's a parable. I'm like saving it with me. I've talked about recently how much like I have um, reverence a lot for words and in the same way that as a kid when I would, you know, go to church and the, the, the feeling of reverence and like, you know, turning these thin pages and underlining things with numbers. Um, I feel that way, like reading Sylvia Plath's po- uh, journals because everything's numbered almost like a verse. Um, there's so many things that have that reverence and like biblical aspect to me. And now I feel like I carry them around the same way that I used to carry around like, you know, Bible verses that I would memorize for Awana or like mm-hmm. all of these things that I was a part of as a kid. Um, and I feel like, like an, an image collector or an imagist as Dr. Arroyo likes to put it, um, carrying around these lines that are just sticking to me. It's another mm-hmm. thing that I can't put down, but mm-hmm. you know, it guides me. It helps me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you do put them on the page, right? So that right. You, you keep them. Yeah, I hope you keep everything you write. I, you know, even if it's never going to be something that's going to be in a book, or you think it's never going to be something that's going to be in a book, you think it's never going to be. You never know. You know the the things you cut out of poems, always save them, because you never know if those things might end up in Come another back. piece. In another piece. Yeah. They just maybe haven't found their home yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Describing <laughs> it as a home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Words all come back to a home. Well, those are all the questions I have for you oh, right now. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. It's lovely. You're just uh, incredible. And um, the students I've met here are amazing. This is a great school. I, I can just feel it um, from at least, I mean, I don't know the whole school, but the English department and the people and students I've met are incredible. I'm really impressed. Thank you so much. Of course. If you would like to read more of Brenda's work, um, you can purchase Trace. Trace is the most recent collection of poems. Obviously, there's some other things for purchase as well. Don't you have a website too? It's called... It's my full name, brendacardenas.net. And my last name is spelled C A R. D-E-N-A-S. It's all just smashed together. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I can't wait to read more of your work. And we'll see you next week.